result. You are now tuned into Pulse Pounding with Mickey Dillon. If you've been meaning to get yourself in some therapy, but haven't found a good enough reason to stop making excuses and commit to self-reflection, look at this as your free trial. Today's guest is a marriage and family therapist, as well as an expert on couples and families. She works to help her clients detach themselves from destructive behaviors and habits that may be a result of their environment or an internal struggle. During a process she calls reprogramming, she assists in implementing healthier, more productive habits and behaviors. She is also one of the sexiest women alive, and I am submitting her against her will to walk in the next Fenty <laughs> fashion show. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Pia Desir. That was bad. Yeah, I mean, how do you? I don't even know. <laughs> I am like high off of that. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things I write when I'm stoned at night and I read them in the morning and hope for the best. Oh my God, that was fantastic. That was so, I, I need to like hear that every single day before getting out of bed. That yeah. was the biggest hype I've ever felt in my life. Call me whenever you want and I'll reread it to you. Oh my God, perfect. Sounds great. I'm so excited. I'm going to make you a monthly calendar. You're like, just so you know, you are still the baddest bitch. You're badass <laughs> bitch. Wait till they see you. They're not even going to believe it. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Um, so I haven't even told you, funny story, you kind of were part of inspiring like the rebrand of the podcast because I was already thinking, I had like ideas in my head of what I wanted to do and things I wanted to change. And then you had reached out, you had responded to my story and you were like, I want to come on your podcast. And I was like, yeah. oh, wait, that's actually like a sick idea to have a conversation about like what you do and mental health and all that stuff and that like furthered my thought of like this is not the right structure to have the kind of conversations that I want to because yeah. I had already limited myself so when I was explaining to like some friends and and family and getting their opinions on on switching things up you were mm -hmm. the example I used I was like well my friend does this and I want to have this conversation with her and I can't do that if I do things this way so I need to make a change so you kind of inspired the uh jump off point of oh restarting my God. that makes me so happy to hear that is so sweet yeah you know that was that's actually a really really big deal that you were able to do that and you were able to like self create like correct in that manner because I mean, I don't know. I, I've definitely struggled, struggled against it. And I like that you pointed out, you're like, I've sort of limited myself. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, let's just go back. Let's go back to the drawing boards and let's reassess and reevaluate and work these kinks out. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of the time it's, it's, it's easy to stay where it's comfortable. You're like, whatever this, this is up and running. This is working just fine. It is what it is. Right. So I love that that you were able to switch gears like that. It was also really vulnerable for me to be able to like reach out and be like, you know what? Like I actually like I would love to come on to your podcast and do this because usually I'm like, mm, yeah, like I'll shy away from those things. Yeah. But but you you're very like safe and I love your presence. I feel so. the same way. It's so weird because I felt that like immediately when you and I met. Um, yeah. and we were talking about the tattoo I got yesterday earlier and like, I am always drawn to people like that. Like when I feel some sort of 
instant connection with somebody. It's not that common for me. So I'm always Mm -hmm. like drawn to developing that relationship with whoever that person is because Mm -hmm. it's so rare for me. And I feel like there's a reason for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I can definitely agree. It's, it's good to like gravitate towards people that feel good to us that make us feel like safe and and comfortable yeah 100 um but yeah the second you and i met we were like i love you (laughs) (laughs) this is it now (laughs) i know it was so crazy um so tell me a little bit about your background where did you grow up what was your childhood like because i think it's important when someone's in a position that you are or in the profession that you are i like to kind of get in those people's heads and see like what was their life like that brought them to this point? So I am born and raised in Los Angeles. I was born in Santa Monica, uh, raised in West Hollywood. Um, And I've also bounced around a lot throughout my life. Mm -hmm. My mom is a psychologist and she's also a marriage and family therapist. Um, So I, I already had this exposure to this, this industry and this realm and field. Um, and like all of us, my, my childhood definitely had like, it's, you know, it's moments and, um, my dad wasn't around a lot and stuff, stuff of that nature. Um, so yeah. And then on top of that, because I constantly, I mean, I was born in Santa Monica I then moved to Hawaii. We then years later moved to New York and then we moved back to LA Years later, we moved to the desert. Then I moved to Miami, and then I came back to California, and then and then I finally landed here where I am now to go to college. Um, so so yeah, and even my entire journey with my education is extremely unconventional. Mm-hmm. I'm a high school dropout. Um, I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore, and I left at the very beginning of eleventh grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, a year, year and a half later, I decided to come visit my godfather in New York, and was like, I'm not going back, and I never went back. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> and um, he, God bless that man. Um, <laughs> and so he owns like a string of gyms, and so I was working for his gyms, and I was out in Brooklyn, and series of events one thing led to another and one day I kind of woke up and was like what am I doing with my life if I keep making these choices am I going to like where I am in 10 years and um I got up and came out to Long Island and was like I need to get my life together so I got my DD. I went to Suffolk then I transferred to Stony Brook and that was a whole long and arduous process Mm -hmm. bouncing around from majors and finally I was like okay, I guess I'm supposed to be a therapist because nothing else is working. And so when I followed what was like easy and like good, and I wasn't trying to like struggle, um, all these doors just opened up and then I went to Hofstra university and yeah. That's amazing that you just came here for a visit and you decided you were never going back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. Crazy. I don't know, but yeah, I just, I was like, uh, there's not really a lot for me in California and um uh my living arrangement in California wasn't very fantastic and Mm -hmm. so I was like there's not really much of a point to stay here and if I do stay here life isn't going to be what I want it to be so yeah and we actually recently hit the the 10 the 10 year mark um last year going on 11 years and I keep reflecting I'm like I cannot believe I was able to pull all of this off not without right support that I have I'm very fortunate to have the support that I have it's so interesting from 
I mean, I think you're similar in age to me, right? I'm turning 30 this year. Um, Yeah. So I always think it's interesting at this stage in life, it's kind of like the first time you can look back and have your last 10, five, 10 year experience be as an adult, even though, of course, you continue to grow and progress through your 20s. I feel like at 26, 27, there's like a switch, at least for me, that flipped and things just made a little more sense. Um, But it's interesting to look back and have that time that you're looking back on be when you were an adult and when you were making some formative choices. And to stand at this point and look back at that is so crazy. And then it makes me start to think like, well, what is that going to be like in 10 more years? What is it going to be like in 10 years when I look back at this point? And where will I be? And how will I feel about what's happened in between? It's so strange, like, reflecting back on the things that have happened. Yeah, so there's actually a biological reason for that. And that is because at about 26, 25, 26, our prefrontal cortex lobe is now fully developed. Right. So for all the years before that, for the past 26 years before that, our brain wasn't fully developed, mm-hmm. right? When you're 18 years old and you're like, jump off a cliff, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when your parents are like, if everybody was jumping off a cliff, would you do it? It's like, yeah, yes, you, they would. You, know? yeah. you want yeah, me to right now? I will. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it right now. And that's because we don't, our brain isn't structured yet to really be able to, it's not functioning in a way for us to be able to see the impact of our choices yet. So our prefrontal cortex lobe is in charge of decision-making. That's the part of the brain that's able to say, all right, yeah, this would be a really good idea. Or you know what? No, that's, that's not, that's not the best idea. We could get hurt if we decide to jump off of this cliff. Um, And so, so many other things, right? Like we could get hurt if we tell this person we love them. There's so many different things that this part of the brain is responsible for. So yeah, it makes sense. Like at 30, you finally start to see like, oh, because you're able to make more functional decisions. Yeah, it's so interesting. And then you have the people who for some reason, I don't know if it's the drinking or what they did in their 20s, but it seems like that frontal lobe, is that what it is? Is that right? That's what develops? Yeah, prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. Seems like that never develops for them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's sometimes you look around and and you're like, you know, excuse me, what like what are you, are we going to start making any yeah. any other decisions and sometimes people don't. Sometimes their brain is in a way where the neuro tra- or the neuronal pathways, all of these things are now fostering these unhealthy choices mm-hmm. because the opposite of that is really dysregulating to their overall system and makeup that even though this is not ideal and optimal and healthy, it's what we know. It's comfortable. Right. So I'm going to stay here because of all of the the emotional landslide that will come with choosing these other options. Right. So let's get into a little bit more about what you do, because I know I talked about it a little bit in the intro, but for the listeners, tell everyone a little bit more in depth about what it is exactly that you do. Yeah. So like you said, I am a marriage and family therapist. um, And that is a very lovely way to say I went to school and I studied under a variety of different theories. The biggest umbrella theory is something called systems theory. We are our own system as well as we come from a system that is our family. Mm -hmm. And so families are structured in a variety of different ways. And families are extremely intricate and nuanced 
And in response to that, the child from that system of origin grows up to be this adult who tends to bring the lessons and messaging and experiences from that system into their new adult world. And then we try to get together with people and try and make relationships. We have all of this messaging and behaviors and patterns that we received from our original system going into this new system. Mm-hmm. And it can create basically a shitstorm. Um, and then obviously there's even bigger systems. There's some of society and so on and so right, forth. Right, of course. Um, so, so what I do is I go in and whether it's with a couple, whether it's with a family, whether it's with an individual, I assess and we figure out like what's coming up, like what's brought you in to see me. Mm-hmm. And then I can go in and I can assess where the misfirings in the systems are that are supporting this issue. I don't want to say problem, mm-hmm. but this issue or this dysfunction. Right. Um, and then from there, we can slowly start to process and and untangle you, ourselves, from this experience and start to sort of release the, the emotional baggage that we've been carrying around to help us start to show up more functional, to show up more healthy. And that looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. So I work with my clients to figure out what is the most optimal, functional, healthy way of existing for you. Love that. Yeah, thanks. Me too. It's fun. All right. So let's talk about couples. What is the most common reason that you see couples in therapy together? What are the most common issues that people in a relationship are trying to fix? Okay. This is, I love this question. This is a very layered question. (laughs) Um, To put it plainly, Couples come in because the other person is the issue Mm -hmm. and the other person, if they could just change Mm -hmm. and adapt, life would be great. And we wouldn't have to be here right now. That's like, the, you know what I mean? And you can plug and play and figure out what that change is, but that's the most common issue. Right. Um, For the record, I don't believe in like, and this sounds weird. When people are like, I need to change, so on and so forth, I don't work from that space. Mm-hmm. My belief and my perspective is, no, it's not that we need to change. It's that we need to settle into who we are and be stable and rooted and grounded in who we are and stop attempting to show up in the world as something or someone else, mm. which leads into my next point. Um There is a theorist, a marriage and family theorist. His name is Murray Bowen. I love this man so much. I want a tattoo of him. I love him so much. Um, And he has two, two universal assumptions. One is all people are navigating from a level of anxiety inherited from their system of origin, right? So we all have these levels of anxiety and that's how we navigate. Mm -hmm. The second is um, dysfunction arises when the, level of anxiety either goes above or below their their nice happy medium their comfortable space mm-hmm. and the individual proceeds to abandon the self and move closer to the system in order to regulate so to put it plainly the issue that i see most is when there are times of emotional distress within couples and families most of us have received this message 
um, and this response and this behavior that I need to rescue you from mm-hmm. what's going on. Right. And oftentimes we're not rescuing the person. We're just doing to them what we want them to do for us, which is incongruent. And the person is like, I don't want you to do that. And the other person's like, no, this is what you need right now. Mm-hmm. And so it just creates this shit storm. Hmm. That's so interesting. It's interesting what you said at the beginning too. It's kind of like the, it's not me, it's you syndrome where people think that it must be your issue. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, definitely. It's, and it's, it's like, it, and I mean, you know, I've, people will come in and they're like, this is the issue. My so-and-so won't do da 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 da. And, you know, d- we just, we're just here. So you can basically tell them and make them start doing this and everything will be fine. And right. it's like, well, let's actually like look under the hood a little bit, right. you know. And what's going on with you, bitch? What's your problem? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's never fun. They're like, I'm, I don't have any problems. Yeah, right. It's okay. <laughs> what is your advice for good communication with your partner? Because I feel like when I talk to couples or someone who's in a relationship and they're talking about their struggles, it always seems to be a communication issue. I think that eight, nine times out of 10, if people could figure out how to talk to each other and communicate what the problems were, there wouldn't be so many issues Mm -hmm. or you might avoid such a serious issue. So what is your advice for good communication? Yeah. So this is twofold. One is clarity. Mm -hmm. You want to get clarity on what's being said. From what you're saying or from what the other person is saying to you? Both. Okay. I call them projection words. Mm-hmm. There are these words that we'll use when we're speaking to other people mm-hmm. and we'll say the word and the other person just can, they have the opportunity to project their, their own definition onto the word. Right. If we could slow down and say, well, what do you, what do you mean by this word? Or what do you mean when you say X, Y, and Z, if you ask for clarity, that you're opening the opportunity to have clear communication Mm -hmm. because what happens is, is when I'm using these words or you're using these words and I'm just projecting my own definition onto it, that means I'm understanding the conversation in a way that may not be what is being said or how it's intended. Mm -hmm. And so now we're not even listening to each other because we're just like filling in this conversation with what we think is being said. And then we're having all of these misfires. That makes so much sense. Right. And it's also an opportunity for intimacy. Um, My mom always says um, intimacy is the experience of into me. I see. Mm -hmm. So when we slow down and we ask, well, what do you mean? What's going on? you get a glimpse into what the other person is saying, how their brain works, the words that they use, how they define these words. One question I will ask my couples is, you know, how I ask each of them, how do they define vulnerability? And the amount of times that I receive two different Mm -hmm. definitions is astronomical. Right. Um, You know, usually one person will say, oh, it's, you know, it's opening up and it's sharing and, you know, it's an opportunity to grow. And the other person's like, it's a kink in the armor. It's a weakness. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, showing my belly and absolutely, you know, and so the way that they're, then neither one is like right or wrong. It's just, they're, they're different. So if I'm sitting here saying to you, I need you to be vulnerable and I mean it as I need you to open up more. I need you to, you know, show me more of your emotions. I want to be in there with you. 
and their response. And when I say be vulnerable and you're hearing, um, I need you to be weak or I need you to be show your belly more. You can be like, absolutely not. You're out of your mind. Right. This is never happening. Right. And then your defenses go up. So that's one. The second one actually comes from Brene Brown. Love her. Um, Brene, if you hear this, adopt me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but she says, and this has helped a lot. And I say this to my clients and I ask my clients this a lot. When you're speaking to your partner, say the story I'm telling myself mm-hmm. and you then express and say, well, this is what I, this is how I interpreted mm-hmm. the information. And this is what I'm receiving from this experience. And the other person gets up trying to say, oh, whoa, no, this is what was going on. Right. But that statement is so powerful because again, vulnerability and intimacy are being present, right? You're opening yourself up and you're allowing your partner to take a glimpse inside of what's going on with you. And on top of that, you're not using language that will elicit defenses, right? You're, you're owning what is going on. You're not saying you're doing and so on and so forth, which the other person's just going to shut down. Mm -hmm. You're saying this information in a space of this is how I am interpreting it. Where did I go wrong? Right. Or where, where was the miscommunication? Um, so that's the two biggest things that I could recommend for communication. Well, it's so interesting that like your perception of something is your reality. So like we're all speaking the same language for the most part. <laughs> but um, whatever comes out of from your head to your mouth and out can be perceived by the other person so differently than how you meant it. And sometimes we fall into this situation and this behavior where we just expect the other person to know what we mean because we think they know us so well. But at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, no matter how well you know someone, they're not in your head, you know? So I feel like it's so important to effectively communicate exactly what you mean. Or if you're on the other end of it, ask questions. If it, doesn't seem to be coming out right to avoid a conflict by just assuming that you know what's going on and that's like a really really big thing um that i'm confronted with with clients Mm -hmm. um and also that i have done in my own relationships where we're not communicating certain things we're not saying certain things we you know are just showing up and whatever it is and our partner isn't doing something we're like you should know me better than that mm-hmm. and we immediately internalize their behavior as like a, a slight on us when they might not even know and we think like okay being around this person for however many years they might they would pick up on it right. but no not not everyone is as mindful or as perceptive and that you know that is what it is obviously there are, there are, you know, exceptions to the rule where if you're constantly telling your partner, um, you know, this is what matters to me, this is what I need and so on and so forth. And they're not showing up in that way. Mm -hmm. That's a different conversation. Um, but if we're scared to ask for what it is that we need and what we want, and we're just saying, I expect you to, to, to know, how Mm -hmm. do you not know? Um, those are two different conversations. Well, that kind of brings me to my next question. Do you have any suggestions for approaching a difficult topic? Because I feel like 
most people want to and mean to communicate certain things that they're feeling, but they might be afraid of a confrontation or they may feel awkward bringing certain things up to their partner. So how do you suggest people get out of their own heads? Because I always tell friends or anyone who asks or talks to me about their relationship, you have to have hard conversations, even if you think it might turn into a confrontation, even if you think it may hurt the other person's feelings, even though you don't mean to, you have to be honest and you have to have difficult conversations. But I don't think everyone forces themselves to do so. So do you have any suggestions on how to approach a hard conversation that you're grappling with, whether you want to bring it up or not? Yeah, definitely. You know, those experiences, they're, they're again, very layered, very nuanced. And they tie into what I was saying originally um, with Murray Bowen about the abandoning of the self. Because when we go into these conversations and, and they're intense and there's emotions and we're vulnerable and we're crying and all of these things are going on, we're, we're dysregulated. Right. And so once we're dysregulated, we're trying to get back to regulation. And so we will start to do a variety of different things to get us back to dysregulation, which sometimes can only just add fuel to the fire. Mm -hmm. So really try to stay as grounded as possible. One thing that I do that helps me get through nerve wracking conversations is if I'm feeling anxious, I'm going to use that specific um, emotion. Mm -hmm. If I'm feeling anxious, Typically when I'm feeling anxious, I feel that pit in my stomach. And so I will just put my hand on my stomach and I'll speak to the anxiety. I say, thank you so much for being here, but I don't, I don't need you right now. I can do this. And really being as mindful as possible to stay rooted and grounded in myself and not start to approach the conversation with trying to assume responsibility for the other person Mm -hmm. because when other people become dysregulated and uncomfortable sometimes our own programming and our own messaging that we received growing up is okay now it's my job to go in and save that person from themselves right and but the underlying experience of when we have that interaction we have that dynamic of i need to save you is a lack of faith in the other person that they can do it themselves. Makes so, sense. So, yeah, yeah. So definitely stay grounded and breathe. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote um, in in her book Big Magic, mm-hmm. which everyone should read that book. <laughs> <laughs> she she made a really beautiful point where she painted this picture that said she doesn't push out her emotions or unpleasant experiences she makes space for them Mm -hmm. right um when fear when she's feeling fear and anxiety she instead of saying i need to get i need to not experience it i need to get over this she says i make room for it Mm -hmm. i talk to it i say listen i'm driving this car you can sit in the back seat you can stare out the window you can be in this car you cannot sit in the passenger seat you cannot speak you cannot touch the radio and for the love of god you can never and i mean never get into the steering wheel Mm -hmm. and so 
fear gets into the steering wheel, anxiety starts to sit into the steering wheel when we start to act from that place. Right. So if you could take a moment to pause and breathe, close your eyes, regroup and reground, and then enter back into the conversation, I think you could get a lot further than you than you think you could. That's such a great way to look at it. I like to yell at myself in the mirror sometimes. Sometimes I'll look oh, yeah. at myself and be like, get your shit together. You're that was fine, me bitch. That was me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was me. And I was just, you know, I've done that so many times where I'm just like, I'm like, you? Yeah. Let's go. Like, no, this is, we've, we have climbed Mount Everest. This is a cakewalk. We're okay. Get it together. Sometimes. And I, it helps. Sometimes I get caught doing it too. And I don't even care. <laughs> I remember one time I was at work and I was in the bathroom by myself and I didn't realize that one of my coworkers was in the stall and I was talking to myself in the mirror and I was like, get your shit together. Cause I was just having like a rough day. I was like, you are fine. Get your shit together. And he started cracking up and he was like, are you fucking yelling at yourself? And I was like, like yeah. yes, because someone needs to tell me to get it together and it's not going to be any of you so it's gonna have to be me (laughs) yeah no we need that you know what I mean and it's and and we we need to we need to step in and be that parent to ourselves sometimes Mm -hmm. that's like you know it's yes I see you 100% we have to be able to step in and be to ourselves what it is that we're asking for do you think a lot of marital issues that you see come from settling because I think that a lot of issues I see come from men and women, but women specifically feeling like they need to fit this timeline for themselves as far as marriage and kids. So they pick the nice safe guy who treats them well and may have a great job, may not be the person they're most attracted to or feeling Mm -hmm. so much in love with, but they think this is good enough. And then a few years in to the marriage and the kid and the house and this, they start to realize that that might not be enough and they may Mm -hmm. have made a mistake. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's so common that Mm -hmm. I see it. So do you Mm -hmm. feel like that that is a cause of a lot of issues in relationships as far as marriage specifically? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And that's like very controversial and people are not going to want to hear it. And Mm -hmm. I'd be like, no, and defenses are going to go up and it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. But yes, 100% I do. I work a lot with the concept of misogyny Mm -hmm. and, um, through the lens and people are like, misogyny. um, (laughs) (laughs) the definition of misogyny being, um, you know, disdain for, women or things that are feminine and so on and so forth right um and misogyny affects women and it affects men um and the perspective and the lens that i work through is that misogyny is the backbone for all institutions of oppression Mm -hmm. um and most often what i see in those experiences and those dynamics are people who have not worked through their own internalized misogyny right Granted, women um, are working against a biological clock. Mm-hmm. Um, men can have children their entire life. Right. It's not uncommon to hear of, you know, men having children way later in life. That's why I um, love being a homo. Nope, <laughs> nobody's on the clock. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, so um, yeah, we 
tend to operate from the space where we don't really like slow down and ask ourselves, well, what is it really? What is really going on? Right. Um, I know for myself, I had to sit down and reflect on my own internalized misogyny. And in that, I was on the other side of it. I was like, oh, I'm gay. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even like men. Right. Uh, well, I like men, but like, I'm not like, you know, yeah. you know, attracted to them in that, <laughs> right. in that sense. Um, but the programming that I received from society and all of this stuff is that to be successful, you have to have male validation. Mm-hmm. You, you're only as successful as the man that said, yeah, this is my wife and right. so on and so forth. So when we don't have these experiences um, and we are operating from this space that the end all be all is marriage and children, we'll start to make decisions that are rooted in lack mentality mm-hmm. you know it's okay well this is this is as good as it's gonna get i i have to accept this behavior right. and it's okay this isn't going on and so on and so forth and the amount of excuses will be like oh it's just a man like it's fine you know when it's like no i need you to show up in a certain way i'm expected right. to show up in a certain way but if i ask you to show up in a certain way the response i get is you know fill in the blank um so yeah, I do think that there is a lot of a lot of settling and there are so many bad bitches out there that, <laughs> you know, are are with people who don't respect and that's both men and women. You know, there's there's a lot of people who are with other people that are with the people that they're with because they're trying to fulfill this idea or this script that we have to be with a person that looks like this or acts right. like this right. at this job. And we'll do these things when in reality, that's not what we might even want, but that's what we told we need to have in order to be happy. Right. Right. And I think people put so much less focus in that situation and that mindset on how people make them feel. That's the most important part of a relationship is how does this person make you feel, you know? Yeah. Because if you don't have that, then you're starting to build a house without a foundation and it's going to crumble, you know? Yeah, you know, I'm happy you said this too because um, this it sort of reminds me of this thing that I see predominantly on on Instagram, where you know it'll be like if they make your nervous system comfortable, like that's what it is, and I'm like, mm, hang on, pump the brakes, <laughs> because some of us, a lot of us, and I would go so far as most of us. Um, do have a lot of unresolved traumas right. and and that stem from our childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of us were in environments that really weren't conducive to, to us as the individual. When that happens, we're comfortable in that experience. We're comfortable in dysregulation. We're comfortable in chaos. We are okay with our needs not being met because that's what we're used to, mm-hmm. right? So if you put someone, if, if I were to take you and you came from that environment and I put two options in front of you, option number one, someone who's inconsistent, someone who's unstable, someone who's chaotic, someone who does, will violate your boundaries, um, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. And I put someone else who is stable, who is grounded, who is secure, who, you know, is, is healthy, can communicate. Mm -hmm. And I said, which one are you going to choose? That's emotionally safe. 
and you came from the background of chaos, instability, and so on and so forth, and you haven't done the work to unpack that stuff, you're going to choose option number one because they are the emotionally safe option. Because the opposite option will actually be more dysregulating because you don't know how to function in stability. Mm-hmm. That was something that I had to unlearn. And that was something that I had to work through with my own therapist. My therapist was like, babe, I love you, but you got to sit in this discomfort right now. (laughs) Because the person that was sitting across me was stable, was kind, was sweet, all of these things. And I was like, I don't know how to be in this environment. But if you put me in front of, you know, really chaotic and, and big abusive men, Oh, cakewalk. I can walk that. I can can navigate that. No problem with my eyes closed, blindfolded backwards on hot coals, you know, but the sweet one, the nice one, the person that's attentive and wants to be there and wants to show up and wants, wants me to open up Mm -hmm. and, and show myself to them. That's even more dysregulating. Right. So, so yeah, we need to do this work. We need to learn our feelings. We need to learn how to communicate our feelings. We need to learn what our feelings are saying. We need to learn how to witness our feelings and not make our partner responsible for our feelings. Right. Honestly, wherever you are listening to this, whether you're in your car, at work, I don't care. Please go to Pia's Instagram and send her your insurance information (laughs) so she can bill you for this hour because this shit should not be free. (laughs) I wanted to get your take on sex in the relationship. How important do you feel sex is to a healthy relationship? And do you find that a lot of clients that you see are having issues with that. Our society really only takes heteronormative depictions and definitions of sex into consideration. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of conversation outside of that. And I think, and I know that sex is different for each relationship Mm -hmm. and each person. And each person, you know, there are people that I know that are in relationships and they're in really healthy and happy and functional relationships and them and their partner, they don't have sex, Mm -hmm. but their intimacy, their vulnerability, their connection, their love for one another is so much deeper than, you know, friends who are, who are together. Um, and they are, you know, they're constantly having sex and so on and so forth. And something that I've dealt with a lot is, is this experience where people will be in relationships with people who aren't the best for them, unhealthy relationships. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll be like, well, what, what's going on? They're like, the sex is just so good. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, you're starved of intimacy in this relationship. Your only way to come like to connect and, and be with one another and, and, and be in a space of quote unquote love with one another mm-hmm. is through sex. So it's, it's a loaded question because it looks different for each person. And we have to slow down and ask myself, like, why am I using sex right now? Because sometimes people use sex for self-harm to, to mask the, the issues within the relationship. Right. Um, I know people who I've known a lot of people, a lot of couples are like, we can't stop fighting. And I'm like, well, what, you know, what happens after that? Oh, we have the best sex after we fight. And it's, you know, the dynamic became they couldn't have sex right. unless they, it was after this big explosive fight. Right. So um, 
it's, it's really subjective to each person. You have to slow down, ask yourself, how do I define sex? How important is sex to me? And, and all of these things, um, because, you know, for men as well, and this is how misogyny and like patriarchy, this is how it affects men in particular, because men are not taught how to engage in intimacy outside of sex, Mm -hmm. sex, the messaging I've noticed is, um, intimacy begins and ends with sex, right? right? Which is so So, not true. It, no, it's not at all, you know, so, so there's this experience, um, there's this experience of non-sexual physical touch mm-hmm. where I'll have a lot of clients where their, their, their male partner will touch them and they start to like flinch away. Right. Um, and it's because their partner only touches them for sex. Right. And they're like, I want to be touched just to be touched. Right. I don't want to be touched just because, you know, you, you need to have sex with me or whatever it is. What I've come to realize, and I, and I, this is why I love working with men because on the other side of it, they'll be like, oh, I want like intimacy, but I don't know how to communicate right. that. And I have received this idea and this message that intimacy is sex. So I'm going to reach for sex to engage in intimacy with my partner. So, so it really, it's really, it, it, it's different for each, each partner. It's different for each couple, you know? And like I said, there are other couples who are having absolutely amazing, mind-blowing sex all the time and they're happy and they're healthy. And, you know, um, so it really, it really depends on, on the people slow down, ask yourself, you know, what's going on. If you don't like the sex, it's, well, what, what are the sexual needs that are being dismissed right and are you compatible in that way with your partner because that's important too and i think that's a conversation that's not often had you if you whatever it is that you're looking for whether you're talking about where a couple that doesn't have as much sex but they're very healthy and they are intimate in other ways if you're talking about a couple that is unhealthy like you're saying they're they're fighting after sex you have to find or before rather you have to find somebody that's compatible with you in what you're looking for and that's so much more than does this person have a good job does this person want to get married does this person want to have kids and i feel like those are the major things that people look for and they almost sometimes forget how important every other aspect of compatibility is to long-term success yeah as you know it's other 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 questions should be do they have a life outside of me right am i allowed to have a life outside of them right what are their hobbies what are my hobbies do our hobbies complement one another you know what i mean you love going to restaurants and like you're a foodie and you're with someone who doesn't want to do those things and they want to just stay at home and hang out that's an incompatibility right and it's also important to recognize that sometimes people just are who they are. I think people are so focused on changing their partner, especially if they've been together for a long period of time and they're afraid of starting over or they feel comfortable and they don't want to leave the relationship. Sometimes people just are who they are and it's not wrong. It just means that it doesn't work together. It means that it's not what you're looking for and that's okay. Neither person is wrong, but you can't force anyone to be something that they're not. And I think that's such a common problem. People are trying to force their partner to be what they want and that's just not who that person is. Exactly. And then it creates resentment. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it it completely does. Right. Resentment is the experience of violated boundaries. And, and usually when I I'll hear people, I'm, I'm resentful and it's like, okay, well, what was the boundary that was crossed? And when they, when they figure it out, it's, you know, this constant accommodation for the other person, because they think if I keep accommodating for you, then maybe you'll show up for me in the way that I think I need you to show up, you know, instead of just slowing down, observing the person and just accept them for who they are. Right. I remember with an ex of mine, you know, towards the end of the relationship, um, the, this person was like screaming and they're like, you know, I loved you. And I thought you were the one. And I was like, you don't love me mm-hmm. and that's okay. You don't like me. You like the idea of me, right. you like the, you like having someone around. I go, but you don't like me. We don't have, we don't have things in common. We don't like the same things. We don't like doing the same things. We don't have the same sense of humor. Like, you know, not that we're supposed to be the same person, right. but I was like, at the end of the day, you didn't like me, but we were too scared of that reality. Because if I don't, then does that mean there's no one else out there right. for me? Which is crazy. Right? Yeah. And so people, you know, I've noticed a lot. It's the space of fear where they're like, well, I don't want to be single forever. 100%. And it's like, well, if the quality of being single is better, if your life quality is better being single, then when you're in a relationship, quality over quantity, right. you know, quality always over quantity, because if being with these people is exhausting you and you're depressed and you're anxious and you can't eat and your skin's breaking out, all of these things, those are signs like, you know, maybe this isn't it, but when you're by yourself and you're happy and you're healthy and you like the freedom and all of those things, it's okay to be single. Right. It's good to be single. Yes. We need relationships because relationships are able to bring it up for us, our own insecurities and unresolved traumas. And it's good to be in relationships where we can safely navigate what's coming up for us. That's different than trying to force a circle into a square. Right. Or a square into a circle, however you say it. The same shit. Either way, it's not going to fit. (laughs) It's not fitting. I don't care which way you do it. However you do it, it's not going to (laughs) work. Do you think that a relationship is salvageable after infidelity? Do you think that it's successfully salvageable? Because obviously you can stay together. But Mm -hmm. do you find success in people actually having a healthy relationship and moving on from an experience like that? And I understand that that's probably or definitely is person to person based. It's about what you can handle. But like, have you seen a lot of that? And what's the success rate? Because I can't do that shit. That's a hard limit for me. If it's, it, yeah. I don't care if that sounds wrong. I don't care if that's one of my what, toxic traits, as the TikToks call it now. <laughs> hard, cheating's a hard line for me. You do that, yeah. you're out. Because I'll never forgive you. And I'm smart enough to know that I will hold that against you forever, and it will always be in my mind. So I'll just dip. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I. Um. In all honesty. I have seen people be able to forgive and move on. Mm-hmm. It was very subjective to the experience and 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 what was happening. Predominantly, I don't see it being very successful. No, you know, right now we're in a in a period where we we're seeing um, you know open relationships be more common mm-hmm. and more like commonplace, and um, I love being able to witness those relationships because 
they're able to be open and honest and say, you know, this is what's going on, you know, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work and that's okay. Right. You know, but predominantly when there's like cheating, so like the lying, the going behind the back, the covering up your, your, you know, your footsteps or whatever, um, that is a completely different experience in open relationship. Right. It's the, it's the manipulation and, and the dishonesty. Yeah. The lying, the outward betrayal, the, you know, you going and saying, you know, that you were on a business trip when in reality you were visiting your other family. Right. Right. When, when people cheat, I don't, I have only had very, very few um, experiences where people were able to come out on the other side and really, really express. And it wasn't easy by any means. It was, and it was on both, you know, sides, the, the cheater and the cheated on and having to really sit down and like take an inventory and how was this created and what was going on. And sometimes people are just not great. And that's just like who they are and they cheat. And again, you have to be able to like sit there and say, okay, this is like who you are. You're just like a flagrant liar and you know, whatever it is. Um, but you know, I've had other couples where like the people happen way, you know, way, way, way early and they're very, very young. So it really, it really is subjective, but predominantly, you know, I, I feel when I work with couples who are trying to overcome infidelity, the way that they look and what their, the actual goal are two different things, right? They, they're sitting there to be like, we want to work on this when in reality on the other side of it, they just wanted it to be okay for them to divorce and to right, break up. Right. And someone give them that feedback. So yeah. do you find it difficult to remain objective as you get to know clients more and spend more time with them? Like, do you ever want to look at a woman and be like, Susan, your husband's a fucking asshole and you're a bad bitch. So go home and get your dog and get your shit and get the fuck out of there because this guy's a loser. <laughs> um yeah we're human right like (laughs) that that is definitely definitely going to come up when you're just sitting there and you're like trying to like give them the bat signal with your eyes (laughs) Uh, (laughs) run bitch run it's it's not it's not my place right right? i can i can sit there and just be like "Mm, is this the best thing you know and and try and like work on it with them and Sometimes, you know, they'll come to me and they'll be like, you know what, maybe this isn't working. And I'm like, maybe, maybe let's you're talk about correct. <laughs> well, why do you feel that way? <laughs> um, but this, yeah, we're, we're trained to stay objective. We're trained to, you know, have that space and honor, you know, the boundaries of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously when you're, when you work with people and there's times where like you adore both of the people that are that are there and that are sitting there and you see how much they adore one another mm-hmm. and you're like this maybe this where you two have just outgrown when i work with um when i work with like families who are going through transitional periods so like divorce namely mm-hmm. divorce is like a big it's like a scarlet letter right and you know the, ooh, getting a divorce <laughs> i like to reframe that as no your relationship is evolving right especially if you have children um, because you're still a family, mm-hmm. you're a divorced family, but you're still a family no matter what. 
you're still two people and you share children and these are the things that are happening. So, you know, divorce sounds like I'm taking you to the guillotine and chopping your head off. But I like to look at it through the lens of evolution. All things in nature have to evolve. Right. Um, so, so no matter how that looks with clients, you know, they're like, I want to go back to like how things were. I'm very honest. I'm like, we can't really go back to how things were. We can't put the toothpaste back in the bottle, but we can evolve and create a new structure within this relationship that is conducive for you. Self-awareness. Why do you think it's so difficult for people to be self-aware? Because they don't want to look stupid. Um, They don't, uh, because shame, because of guilt, because of how uncomfortable it is to take accountability Mm -hmm. um, and to take responsibility for the things that we've said and we've done. Because if we acknowledge those things, then could that mean that we are actually this big bad person that Mm -hmm. we thought we were? So I'm just going to save myself from that experience and instead view myself as this like, you know, godly creature that Jesus Christ himself looks up to. So, yeah. I feel like I find that to be like such a foreign concept to me. Like, I don't understand how people can't see the way that they are and when they're contributing to a problem. Like I'm always making like lists, lists keep my life together in every way possible. But specifically for this situation, I'm talking about like my own behaviors, right? Like if I hear from multiple people whose opinion I respect that I might be this way, well, maybe Mm -hmm. they're right. And I need to take a look at that, you know, like, I'm always reflecting on my own behaviors and trying to adapt and change things that I don't like or don't feel are healthy. And I feel like that's my biggest flex in my 20s is that Mm. I've grown so much and done so much work on myself. And looking back, I can recognize a lot of unhealthy behaviors or ways I reacted to things that I've changed. Um, So I almost feel like frustrated with people in in my life or that I come in contact with where I'm like listening to what they're saying and watching who they are as I get to know them and just realizing that their perception of themselves and who they actually are is so different and I find that so frustrating yeah you're reminding me of this experience that I had um, a few years ago um I am very fortunate because I've had the same two best friends my entire life Mm -hmm. and they are sisters. Um, And I fell between the two of them. So one is older, the other is younger and I'm right in the middle. And the three of us were just attached at the hip. Our moms were best friends. We've just, we've all, we've just been in each other's lives forever. And um, this was in my earlier twenties, definitely. And I was such a know-it-all and it was so annoying and people would post things and I just felt like I had to like interject my opinion mm-hmm. and I didn't, it was unnecessary. Let people have their opinions. Who gives a fuck? Keep it moving. Right. And I don't remember what it was. Um, but I, uh, the younger sister, she posted something on social media and I did what I do. And, um, one day I was with my other really good friend and, um, I was like, Oh, let me show you this person's Instagram. And, um, 
so I go to pull it up and she blocked me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so I, I text her, but I'm like, what happened? She goes, listen, like, it's not my place to talk about this. You need to talk to my sister. And mm-hmm. I was like, so I text her and I'm like, what? Like what, when she goes, honestly, she's like, I can't take it. Every time I post anything, like you're so negative and you always have something to say. And it's just, I just, I don't care. Like, I don't want to hear it either show up and be like a positive light in my life or keep it to yourself. Like, I just, I don't care anymore. Right. And that had the biggest impact on me because I, I could have done one of two things. It could have been like, you're fucking dumb. Yeah. Right off like you just can't handle i'm not being i hate when people go um when you're like you're being hurtful and they're like i'm not hurtful i'm just telling the truth mm-hmm. no you're not you're being an asshole right just call a spade a spade right so i could have done that i could be like no i'm just trying to make or i could have taken the information and said wow let me take inventory am i doing this and not only am i doing this what's my intention behind all of this right and that's my favorite question because we always hear like people on the TikToks and the Instagrams and like, what's your intention? And like all of these things, no one talks about the definition of intention. Do you right. know what the definition of intention is? No, not word for word. <laughs> <laughs> the medical definition of intention is the healing process of a wound. So when we ask that question, what's your intention? The question actually is, what's the wound you're trying to heal right now? Right. What are you trying to heal? And so I had to reflect and say and ask myself, you know, what what's going on? And I realized that, you know, a lot of my own trauma and my own stuff from my own past was coming up in the space of like trying to be a know-it-all because I felt because of my journey through my education, I felt very stupid. I, I was diagnosed with um, ADHD very later in life. And not having that diagnosis growing up, I received this information that I was like stupid Mm -hmm. or that, you know, I was, you know, unintelligent, like I didn't know. And people would kind of like infantilize me and like all of these things. So I was overcompensating um, by trying to, I I had this fear of like not knowing and like, you know, if someone didn't know, like I had to like go and prove it. So my intention was to address this wound that I was carrying that I was like somehow stupid or whatever it was. And that wasn't the case whatsoever. And so when I stopped trying to, to project that onto the world and I was able to metabolize that information, I've become such a better person for it. And I, and I hope she listens to this and I'm definitely going to send it to her. And I tell her ever so often, like, you know what? I love you so much. And I really appreciate you, you giving me that feedback so many years ago because it's been the most impactful message that I've received because I could have continued going on to the world and being scared of receiving this information, right. you know, and when we can receive information and when people that love us can come to us and say, listen, what's going on, this behavior is not indicative of the person. I'm like what's, what's happening. Right. Um, we can, we can live a lot more peaceful and, and, you know, caring life. The flip side now is I'm very intentionally, very kind, and I really try and be encouraging, and I'm very positive to people. And it's not like a fake thing; it's just me, because I'm like, wow, I, I, we don't need more negativity in this world. People are negative enough, and the whole I'm not being an asshole; I'm being honest. You can tell people the truth and still tell them in a kind and compassionate way 
or they'll actually receive it. Right. I think so. it's so interesting how when the right person holds you accountable, it can change the course of how you act for the future, yeah. you know? But yeah. I think it's important that it's someone who you respect your relationship with, you know? Because there's oh, a lot yeah. of people who will give opinions on your behavior and how you're acting and then you see the way that they're acting and you're like you don't even have your own shit together you can't even yeah. figure out how to act yourself so you're in no place to tell me what to do so you take those opinions like with a grain of salt but when it's someone who definitely you respect and who's successful in their own relationships with people and the way that they act yeah I don't know I feel like it it means more yeah yeah I always think of that um the, the lyric, the Kanye West lyric is like, I don't take advice from people less successful than me. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's true. You have to, one of my very near and dear friends, Gala Darling, she always says, you know, you have to have a, a, a team of people around you that whose words you do actually respect. And she was another one who later she would come to me and, you know, we'd be having these conversations. One day she's like, I feel like you like edit yourself. And I was like, I do. And she's like, I'm not coming to you and trying to engage in this conversation because I need you to show up how you think I need you to show up. I'm coming to you and having these conversations because I respect and honor your words and all of these things. And I was like, wow, okay. And I was able to take that into consideration because I respect what she says. I respect who she is as a person. I respect her hustle. She's a very successful person in a variety of ways. And I was able to take that information and look around and ask myself, am I showing up the way they want me to show up? Am I editing myself and making myself smaller and dimming my own light? Or am I being honest and forthcoming? And am I grounded and rooted in who I am? Do you have any advice for people on changing a behavior in themselves that they might see and dislike, but maybe they don't know what are the steps to take to change it? Yeah. So the quickest way to get to anywhere you want to be is slowly. I'll have clients who work with me and we'll, can, we'll circle around this dream of this certain behavior, or this belief or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I don't understand why it's getting better, but it's becoming more uncomfortable. So sometimes the things about ourselves that we're like, oh, I can't keep doing this. We are going to continue to engage in the behavior until it becomes so uncomfortable that we're like, I can't, I can't do this. I need the opposite. Right. And so in those experiences, I always encourage everyone to start slowly. Greatest example is when we decide to get into like a health kick. Mm -hmm. We're like, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> I am a 5 a.m. gym rat. <laughs> and I have my creatine and my protein shakes and my this is and my that. And I'm going to get my 401k up and running. Yeah. And I'm going to start my five, you know, Fortune 500 business and all of these things, right? We're trying to do something where we're trying to eat the elephant in one massive mm -hmm. bite. But you eat an elephant one bite at a time. So start slowly. If you want to be a healthier person with a healthier lifestyle, how much water do you drink? Right. Right? Before, and and a lot of us have it, if you're a coffee drinker, I go, what's, what's the first thing you ingest in the morning? They're like, coffee. Yeah. I'm like, do you have water before that? No. No. And they're coming to me with their anxiety. And I'm like, why don't we slow down? Right. Start with a glass of water first thing in the morning, right? Glass of water first thing in the morning, 
do that for 30 days. See how you feel. Right. Right. Oh my God. I feel so much better. All right. Add a glass of water 30 days for 30 days for last thing at night, just drink one glass of water. Right. And it just, if you want to live the healthier life, start drinking more water. And then from there, you'll start to feel better. Right. When we start to feel better, we want to engage in things that also contribute to feeling better as well. And it slowly begins to build on top of itself. For me, that's what self-care looks like. Right. Right. Like everyone's like, self-care, let me go splurge <laughs> at Balenciaga, like whatever it is, you know. But no, it's these like it's these smaller things, these little things that that show up in life, right? Like um may drink your water. Right. Um, go take that yoga class. Even if you do it that one time, just okay, I want to do this this one time. That's a lot better than no time. Right. And so look at your emails. Right. You know, if you know. So it's these smaller things that build up over time that you'll finally, after enough time has passed, you'll look back and you'll say, oh my gosh, I, I look at how far I've come. But the issue I see most is a lack of patience. Right. If you can be patient, the world is your oyster, but you have to be patient. Yeah. You're never going to get everything you want to accomplish done all at once. In any sense. Yeah. 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 Rome was not built in a day. Amen, sister. (laughs) Do you feel that there's been a spike in anxiety and depression over the past few years? Or do you feel like those subjects are just becoming more open to talk about and more visible because of things like social media? I think it's people are more comfortable talking about it. There's more awareness around it. Right. My own therapist, Judy, I love you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, My own therapist, you know, I would come into sessions and I would have my therapist hat on Mm -hmm. and I would say stuff. And she's like, that is a really great clinical sentence. I'm very happy you did your homework. But what does that mean for you? Right. We'll say things like. Oh, it's, it's my love language or, Oh, it's my attachment style. Oh, it's my anxiety. Oh, it's my depression. How does your depression, how does depression look for you? How does anxiety look for you? How, you know, what, okay. You have an insecure attachment. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, it all looks different. So I, um, I feel that people are putting things out there and there's more content out there that's circulating and more accessible and people are able to see it and see themselves in the content. So then they're able to stop and slow down and say, hang on a second, this is me. Or ask the question, is this me? And then that starts to create this desire to want to know. And you start to learn, oh my gosh, this is what I've been dealing with for so long, right? I would see you know, trigger warning on, on certain topics and I used to, you know, look at, I would still engage in the content and look at the content or whatever it is. And I thought, oh, it's fine. I'm fine. You know, whatever. And as I continue to do my own therapy and a variety of other practices that helped me settle into my body and feel what was coming up for me, mm-hmm. I can't engage in this content anymore. I started to realize like how like jittery and antsy, like inside of my own body, I was beginning to feel and that was me being too, I, I, I was getting triggered. Right. 
However, I didn't know before, well, what does my trigger look like? So, so I think it's not that there's an uptick. I think people are just becoming more mindful Mm -hmm. and are able to recognize how these experiences show up for them. Right. What do you think the major contributing factors to this country's mental health crisis are? And how do you think we fix it? Um, (laughs) that could be a whole nother episode (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole um what do i think the contributing factors are the entire thing (laughs) um everything yeah all of it (laughs) i i think that we not we i think there was a system that was creative that is not conducive for one's mental health Mm -hmm. um and overall health right mental health impacts physical health physical and it's this feedback loop um and so i think that we exist in a system where the gasoline is our unhealthiness is our dysfunction um it was not made or intended for us to thrive i think the inability to allow people to be who they are is incongruent with nature. Educators, I can't, there's one man, I can't remember his name, but you know, like Florence Nightingale, the the uh, Montessori, the primary idea behind those schools and those education structures is that the child is, um, the child is their own master. Mm-hmm. They know what they need to do in order to thrive. However, society comes in and pushes the child away from the self and starts telling them this is who you need to be to be able to be a, to be able to function within this system. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the Montessori perspective of it follows the rules of nature and that nature naturally knows what it needs to thrive. We're not getting up and t- reminding the sun right. to turn on, right? Right. We're not outside at spring and we're talking to our seeds and we're saying, okay, listen, um, you need to start blooming and da, 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 and this is how you bloom. We're not doing those things right. because nature is naturally encoded with what it needs to thrive. So I think this experience of pushing the individual out of the self and not really allowing people to just be humans is what is contributing to uh, the mental health crisis. I think that COVID was a big experience for people to sort of slow down and really reflect. And a lot of people came out on the other side, like realizing that the life that they were living wasn't for them. It was for the people around them. Yeah. It's so interesting having that time to kind of like shut off and reflect, Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. we don't often get because we're so caught up in the routine of like working and you got to get this done and food shopping and all the bullshit. Right. And then to be stuck in the house for what, three months minimum and have nothing to do but really sit there with your thoughts and maybe a few bullshit Netflix shows. Um, I feel like you just like I personally feel like it was such an eye opening experience for me and Mm -hmm. realizing like what's important and things I wasn't making time for that I feel are most important to make time for, you know, like I feel like it changed a lot of my perspective on so many things. So, which it's sad that it it took so much destruction. (laughs) 
But if you can flip it, if you can take a situation like that and you can turn it into something positive and you can learn from it, then I feel like the time is not wasted, you know? Yeah. And that's, you know, the thing is we have, we have a very interesting relationship with time right? where, where, you know, we want to be happy right now. We want to be joyful right now. We want to be fulfilled right now. Right. But we do things that are the antithesis of that. Right. Um, I can only be happy when I've lost this weight. I can only be happy when I have the house with the picket fence and the two and a half children and a golden retriever named Billy. Um, I can only, you know, go engage and go to this event that I want to go to if I have a partner to go with it to all of these things. We put off all of so much life because we think we have to wait to be happy once we have achieved this thing. You can be happy right now. You can go to that event right now. You can, you know, you can love your body right now, wear the clothes that you want to wear right now, and also simultaneously learn how to, you know, get to a space where you're more comfortable with your body. Um, You know, you can do all of those things right now. You don't have to wait to do them later down the line. And I think that we've received this message that, we're not allowed to be happy until all of this other stuff happens but without being present in this moment and grateful for what we have right here, right now, we are actively wasting time because our ego is so far ahead down the road that we're taken out of this moment right here. Yeah. I feel like I've been doing a lot of work on that for myself, like being present in the moment and realizing where you are and what you're doing. And it's important to see the end goal and work towards that. But like with all the specifically with all the creative stuff that I've been doing, I feel like I just started to think about, all right, this is my goal. This is where I want to be, but this is what I've done so far. You know, like I just started to realize I'm already on the path to where I want to go. I'm already, if, if the path is this big, I'm already an eighth of the way there. And I didn't even realize it because I was so focused on, what I'm not doing, where I'm not yet, and how I'm going to get there. So I feel yeah. like I'm learning to realize how important it is to be present in the moment, you know? Yeah, fall in love with the process. Yeah, 100%. Right? Um, I know so many people, I end up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this as an example. I know people who are influencers, and they're very, very successful influencers. Um, some are friends, some are clients, whatever. And, um, they just started out because they're like, Oh, I just wanted to like be creative and like share this content and so on and so forth. Then it started to really turn into a business and they, they wanted to be where they are and they love where they are now, but they reflect so much on the process. And they're always like, Oh, that was so, if I could go back and if I could do that, and if I could go back and so on and so forth, or, or another example is, um, college people will look back and like oh my god I loved I've it was I was so like carefree so on and so forth when you were in college you're like I can't wait till I'm graduated and I have a job and so on and so forth and so you know and then you're you graduate and you get the job and you're there and you're like now I'm in this cubicle and I'm not it's not as fun as I wanted it to be and now I'm reflecting back on how carefree it was and I wish I was more engaged and grateful for what was going on then so yeah slow down fall in love with the process be here right now there's always something to be grateful for 
I feel that way about my 20s. Like, I feel like I couldn't wait to be this age and I couldn't wait to like be at this stage in life. And now that I'm where I, where I am, I'm like, Oh my God, I would love to go back and spend a month being 22 (laughs) and not giving a fuck about anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, one of my best friends and I, we were talking last week. She was like, I miss you so much. She's like, I keep thinking about like when we were younger and we just did whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted to do it. And she's like, and we were absolutely out of our minds. And I'm like, Yeah. 100 I'm like but we can still do that you know um but yeah we 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 think that okay when I'm at this age or when this happens then this is going to happen and it's no you could do it now right. you could be happy now you can have fun now you know um I think that a lot of a lot of issues and this also ties in with my clients right and like in like couples where you get into the you start the relationship in the courting process and you're together and you're having all of this fun and you're doing all these experiences and you're trying to like impress that person and all of these things. And as you get more serious, you know, as you become more committed to one another, a lot of seriousness starts to set in and you don't have as much fun as you used to have. And you're like, Oh, well, that's just life. And it's like, no, you can still have fun. You can still go out and do all of these things that were the things that you fell in love with one another behind, you know? Um, and, and we can have fun now. I used to be really scared, like fun used to freak me out, which sounds like really, really weird. Um, but now my question is, um, and I asked and I'll ask, and I'm going to ask you this question. How do you have fun? What feels good to you? And I asked my clients these questions. They were always like, I actually have no idea. Mm-hmm. They're like, I used to do this one thing, but then I, you know, I met who is now my wife and now I can't do that thing anymore. Um, but I really, really enjoyed doing this thing. It was so much fun. I felt so alive doing it. Right. Right. And then, and then we stopped doing the things that make us feel alive. Right. And when we stop doing the things that make us feel alive, yeah, we're wasting time. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to look back on our life. We're going to be like, none of that other shit mattered. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I refuse to give up the things that make me feel good. So hundred <laughs> percent, I refuse. And it's nice that like, I feel like the greatest part of my relationship is that we both let each other be who we are and give each mm-hmm. other the space that we need. Um, and I feel like that's the most exciting part of my relationship because yeah. I I'm a Sagittarius and I like value my alone time and feeling free. And it doesn't mean that I don't like you or I don't want to hang out with you. But like sometimes as much as I'm an extrovert and I thrive in social settings and I need Mm -hmm. that to kind of like charge me, I Mm -hmm. also am partially the opposite. And I need to like go out and do my own thing or be by myself to feel charged up you know? Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. it's nice that I've found someone that allows me to do that and doesn't try to make me feel guilty or try to deter me from doing that. Not that I would let that happen, but (laughs) it's nice to be encouraged to do the things that fulfill me, you know? Yeah. I 100% I know. Um, oftentimes, you know, we'll show up in these relationships and, obviously we're, we're trying to sort of hide these other parts of ourselves because mm-hmm. we're trying to be the ideal person that we think this other person has in mind. And so 
you know, if this other person doesn't like us doing this other thing, maybe reevaluate, you know, someone who's making you feel guilty because you want to go out and hang out with your friends or you just want to sit at home and like not be on your phone and not engage. And they immediately internalize that as you not liking them. One, the dynamic of that experience is them trying to make you responsible for their feelings. You're not responsible for their feelings. You're responsible for no one's feelings except for your own. And if you have children and if you have animals, Um, (laughs) um, but you know, when when we get into these relationships where the other person is like showing up and and we feel obligated to maintain their emotional equilibrium Mm -hmm. what happens because of that is oh i can't do the things that i like right that might not be the relationship for you and that's okay right you know be in relationships i don't care if it's romantic if it's platonic if it's friendship whatever it is be in relationships where you're celebrated right Find community where you're celebrated, where you're encouraged, where you're loved, where you're able to show up and say, this is what's going on. And and everyone's like, fuck yeah, I'm so excited for you. That's absolutely amazing. Be in community with that. Mm -hmm. When you're around people who you feel like you can't share your good news, reflect on that. Take note of that. People that you feel like you have to complain and, and, um, have really crappy things going on in order to bond with that person take note of that right reflect on that be in the relationships that feel good to you do the things with the people that feel good um and most of all just take care of yourself and if people have issues with you taking care of yourself that's not a you issue i'm literally having this beautiful and intense conversation with you and I'm staring at my cat across the way who has decided now is the time and right in front of me is the spot to lick his own asshole how inconsiderate is that yeah no but like that's you know what they do they're like this is what I think about your relationship and or not really this is what I think about your conversation yeah deal with that right on my kitchen rug just licking his own asshole as if it's normal could you imagine if i started taking my clothes off during this interview and just showering yeah and licking myself <laughs> like i would go to prison most likely okay and this motherfucker thinks he could just sit here in my living room and molest and himself yeah do you feel that your profession is beneficial to your own personal relationships because i feel that as people, sometimes we falter in taking our own advice. Sometimes it's really easy for us to help other people, but when it comes to our own personal situations, because you're so close to it and it's you, it can be Mm -hmm. hard to practice what you preach, for lack of better words. It helps me because I see my own therapist. Mm -hmm. You can't psychoanalyze yourself. I'm too close to the issue. I'm right here smushed up against it. I can't see it. Right. I need that perspective outside of me to, to step in and, and assess, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, when I hear of, you know, when I was going through my program and everything and there were other people who were in the program, they're like, Oh no, I've never been in therapy or, Oh no, I'm not in therapy. Like that's always my biggest advice to everyone when they're starting in this industry, I'm like, go to therapy, find a therapist. And if you don't like a therapist, that's fine. Keep it moving. Find someone else that you like gel with and that you work right. with. Um, but yeah, it's in it and it's helped me in, in different ways. Um, especially with the whole, like 
you know, internalizing and taking responsibility of stuff. You know, one time I remember I was going through something with someone and I wrote out this very lovely clinical text message thinking I was communicating what was going on, Mm -hmm. but really the underbelly of it was me finding a very fancy way for them to take responsibility for what was going on with me because they were going through stuff Mm -hmm. and they weren't able to show up for me the way I needed them, not needed them, but the way I wanted them to show up. Right. And the way I wanted them to show up was to be like, here, let me help you with this emotional baggage. Um, And so I wrote out this text message and I was reflecting on it and I was like, let me take a deep breath really quick. Let me meditate. And I slowed down and I was able to meditate and I was able to reflect back. And I, and I was like, what's coming up for me right now, but not only what's coming up for me now, what is this reminding me of? And I was able to realize that the internal experience that I was having was something from way back in my past that had nothing to do with me to even begin with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or well, it had to do with me. It didn't have anything to do with that person. And it was me just pulling this stuff into the present moment. Right. Um, And I don't think that 22, in fact, 22 year old me would not have been able to sort of slow down. Right. And, and reflect and sort of take my own advice, advice and, and, do what I tell my, my own clients to do, because who am I to tell you or suggest things for you if I can't even do it myself? hundred percent. And I think it's so interesting what you're saying about like in the industry that you're in, it's important to see your own therapist and seek your own help and, and better yourself. Well, this has been my favorite conversation that I've had yet on this show. Oh, yeah. So, so much happy. valuable information. This may have to be a pay-per-view situation because this shit should <laughs> not be fucking free. So I'm going to have to charge and send you every dime. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to our OnlyFans. Honestly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> We're taking back OnlyFans. There we go. I love I, it. Yeah. I read to the, actually yesterday that that Catch Me Outside girl from Dr. Phil, did you see this? Yeah. She put yeah. out her fucking state bank statement or whatever that she made $52 million in less yeah. than a year from OnlyFans. Yeah. Does she even post like nudes or is it like, Yeah. I've never seen it. I, I believe, I, I mean, I've never seen the content, but I, I believe she does and. Good for her. Get, get that money, oh my baby. God, Fifty-two get that million money. dollars in less than a that's, year. What the fuck? That's absolutely fantastic. I'm very, very, very not that I should even. We shouldn't even have to state this. Yeah. I'm very pro sex worker. I am very. I I love my sex workers. That is the oldest industry there is. A lot of our country would not have been built without sex workers. But it's a whole other conversation for a whole other time. They are truly the backbone of our society. And people are going to hate that I say that, but I don't oh, care. Who gives a I'm shit? Very... What... <laughs> Fuck everyone, honestly. Yes. Uh, go support your local sex workers um, and treat them with kindness. LA, you better take care of, you know, the the violations and the strip clubs that are going on. But yeah, make your money. Get, I that, love, get that money. I you. love the strip clubs. I love the strip yeah. clubs and it's such a different experience for me because like I'm not sexually attracted to women but like yeah. I want to slap a couple boobs around because it's fun <laughs> and the strippers end up having fun with me because like 
it's not weird. Like I'm paying them and I'm yeah. like, sit down, tell me about your life. Like what's going yeah. on here? You know, like yeah. I yeah. don't, I don't get weird with them, but, um, I fucking love it. It's one of my favorite activities yeah. and make that money, bitch. Shake make that, that ass that and make that money. money. Who yep. gives a fuck? Yep. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being so open and so responsive and for giving everybody a little wisdom because some of these fucks that listen to me, they really need it. <laughs> so this is your sign if you're listening and you've been thinking about therapy, you fucking need it. Everyone needs it. Yes, reach out. Um, definitely reach out. Follow me on Instagram. Yes, what is it? Drop it. Uh, Pia Desir, P as in party, I A D as in dance, E S as in I don't know what's like a fun sing I don't know sexual, um, sexual I R. <laughs> um, yeah, reach out, follow me on Instagram if you have any questions, if you need any help, if you know you want some help on some resources or anything like that, please feel free to reach out. Um, and I hope you know even if this podcast helped one person, I'm I'm very happy. Yeah, hundred percent. And send your insurance information via Instagram. <laughs> and if you don't have insurance, you can request her Venmo. There you go. That works for me. We take, we take Venmo. We take Zelle, Cash App, Bitcoin if you want to get crazy. <laughs> no, Cash App is ghetto. I don't fuck with that one. Okay. Yeah. All right. that's It gets weird on the Cash App. Does it? Yeah. It's also a really good way to like, oh, no, I shouldn't say it. We were having a healthy conversation. It's a good way to stalk your significant other. Maybe <laughs> if we, you should, we should cut that part out. <laughs> if you suspect your man is cheating, check his Venmo feed. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> You're okay. like, not that I've done it, but. No, you know. I've never done that in my life. That's a lie. hundred percent. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> if, if I think something's going on, I'm going to find out. I'll tell you that. Make sure you go and follow Pia. And if your life is falling apart, reach out to her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love you, I love so, you much. so much. Thank you so much. 